Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Hello and welcome along to Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast, as we look back at a weekend of drama, excitement and controversy in France. Round 22 produced 32 goals and a season-high six red cards. PSG marched on against Montpellier, but Mbappe's latest contretemps with Tuchel made the headlines. Meanwhile, in the race for Champions League qualification, Rennes closed in on Marseille thanks to Rafinha's magic. Now today, I, uh, I welcome alongside me an, an outstanding cast, including Armel Tangi, who's back from a, a short break. You weren't on the pod last week. How are you, Armel? Oh, feeling fresh as a daisy. Really slept so well. I'm feeling you're looking, great. Uh, you're looking terrible. Um, Robbie, how are you? Um, very well, thank you, Matt. Voice is a little bit tired after a, a big Bordeaux Marseille last night, but uh, feeling very good, very good. That is Robbie Thompson, whose Australian accent has uh, mixed in with... Uh, a bit of um, a European twang because you've been in Europe for about twenty years. The producer pan of Pan European, Pan European, Pan European producer yeah. of This Is Paris, the uh, the weekly Paris Saint Germain magazine show. Andy Scott still has his Scottish accent. How are you, Andy? I'm all right. Straight from the Palais de Tokyo. Busy night last night at uh, the Yo-Yo Club with uh, Neymar and the boys. Cycled along the the River Seine this morning past the barge full of seagulls and a rather sinister nod to an Alfred Hitchcock film. And uh, David Crossan might know what I'm talking about, but I don't think any of you guys do. But there's Andy. a very spooky no, uh, gathering place of seagulls on the river between, Sounds yeah, like another one. between uh, Eiffel Tower and, and uh, Sheer Robbie. Beds of concrete and loads yeah. of seagulls. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't understand anything you said there, Andy. You sound, <laughs> it sounds like you haven't been to bed, actually, since well, Neymar's party. There's no time Neymar's to go to party. bed. When <laughs> you, you, you reminded me of a train spotting character that... They're just sort of going off on Are you a... referring to Predrag Rajkovic, the Rans goalkeeper? <laughs> any any, any uh, listeners who've seen the film Trainspotting, um, and based, on, seen the, based on the brilliant book by Irvin Welsh, um, I would recommend that you take a look at a, a photograph of the Rans goalkeeper, Predrag Rajkovic, and uh, work out which Trainspotting character he is. Thank you, Andy. More about Trainspotting and about Neymar's party later, but we are going to go straight into the action and Andy is going to prove that he was working this weekend. He was commentating Ren against Nantes from Roazon Park. Corner kick there. Imran loser delivers and it nearly falls here to Vage. Can he turn it into the net? It's an own goal. Damien De Silva just couldn't withdraw his foot in time. Malwasa continuing his run into the middle and by Neil was the target of the pass. The referee thinking long and hard about the uh, challenge and... Uh, he has given the penalty to Red. Neil scored a penalty in midweek. Saved by Lafon, but Rafinha follows in to score. Imran loser. Support from Baba. Not getting across to Moses Simon. Oh, it's gone in again. And it's another very fortunate goal for Walt in this derby. Into the net it went. It will be Moses Simon's goal. Still not have uh, the best part of two minutes to hang on here. Roman del Castillo. Jan Bo. 
Kante will leave it for Bourgeois. Oh, it's gone in! In the 95th minute! Del Castillo, well, the substitutions have certainly played their part. And by Neon, can he turn and get the shot in? Well, he takes his time, and Rafinha's going to score! But the offside flag does come up. And Rayner denied what would have been a truly incredible winning goal as the clock ticks into the 98th minute. And that goal stands. What an absolutely astonishing conclusion to this game. Ren 3, Nantes 2. What an incredible finale, Andy, to, uh, to that derby. Um, what was it like? What was it like to commentate? First of all, I'll just uh, remind our listeners that Ren are very much in the battle for Champions League qualification. And with that uh, victory, they closed to within three points of Marseille who who were second and uh they've got a bit of momentum now haven't they mm, yeah absolutely yeah they um i mean they didn't play all that well against Nantes. i mean obviously they were they were 2-1 down uh, into the 95th minute and uh, scored those two goals so they they were rather lucky to win the game but um it's been an incredible week for Rennes. i, I was lucky enough to to be at their coupe de france game uh, a few days earlier against angers which they won 5-4 in extra time so that's uh, doing the maths quickly here 14 goals in two games in four days and um, so and they've been pretty, spe- pretty spectacular to watch. Um, an incredible finish. I mean, obviously the train spotting reference before. As, as, as a Scotsman, any time I see a team come from behind to win a game with two goals right at the end, and given my own affiliations, it makes you think of the 1988 Scottish Cup final. Me too, um, every time. <laughs> which, uh, which, was, which was admittedly a bigger game than, than, than your average league game, but at the same time wasn't quite as incredible a finish. A goal in the 95th and a goal in the 97th minute. I have never seen anything like that. Um, it will give Ren a huge lift in their push for a top three finish. I still don't think that they will hold on to a top three place. But Julien Stefan certainly has something about him. And Ren have the Indian sign over Nantes because uh, Nantes, I think, have won just two of the last 19 uh, Brittany derbies going back about 15 years now in the top flight. And, uh, you know, if they, if they can't win when they're 2-1 up in the 95th minute, then I'm not sure they'll but ever Andy, win tell us <laughs> What we want, really want to know is what was said between Mbignon, Albon Lafont, Rafinha got involved as well. What, what, what's the lowdown there? Because there's bad blood from last season between uh, Valentin Rangier and, and Mbignon. That's right, yeah, there is. The yeah, and obviously Valentin Rangier has moved on. But, I mean, listen, it's, it's a derby game. I, 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 I don't know what was said. Um, but, you know, um, Rafinha obviously was um, enjoying his first experience of a, a Brittany derby at Roison Park. Uh, a couple of goals and, and the Nantes players were wound up. But I, th- I thought they'd seen it out. You know, I thought they were going to see out the victory in a typical kind of typical Nantes performance, getting a narrow win. Um, they were very lucky with the two goals they had. Eduardo Camavinga on two occasions trying to clear the ball and, and the ball sort of ricocheting in off, off a teammate and then off a Nantes player. But, you know, they, Ren just got the lucky breaks and the, the goal at the very end, nobody thought that goal had counted. Nobody thought mm. that goal had counted. Yeah, and all it, of was sudden, chalked off, it was chalked off yeah. for offside and then yeah. it went to VAR all and Rafinha we, was on. We, we realised that he was, he was in line. An incredible finish to the game. Absolutely astonishing. I don't think I've ever seen a finish to league on game Andy, like that. Andy, Andy, just, just to focus a little bit on, on Rafinha because he's got seven, no, sorry, he's been involved in seven of Ren's last 14 goals, five goals, mm. two assists. He became their record signing in, in, in the summer. He's been playing largely as a, as a second forward, just off Mbignon. I mean... Well, playing wide, playing wide on the right-hand side, cutting in. Well, he has played as foot. a second forward, but yeah. he obviously played wide at the weekend. Yeah, and this, yeah, on this occasion, he was, he was playing out wide. And um, I think, in a way, that kind of gives you, kind of sums up the difference between the clubs. I mean, Rafinha was not necessarily uh, a standout performer on, on Friday night, I would say. He did score the, 
the two goals, uh, benefiting from from rebounds on each occasion. But he is a player who, as you said, cost Ren a lot of money, about 20 million euros at the start of the season. That is an investment that Ren are able to make. They've got very, very wealthy owners. They've got um, uh, they've got all the great infrastructure. They've got a great support. But you know, they have the ability to spend that kind of money. Whereas not very famous old club, eight-time champions of France, but these days more of a mid-table team can't afford to spend that kind of money. And ultimately, that makes that makes a difference in fixtures like this. Armel Ren have got forty points uh, from twenty-two games. That is actually the best start to a season in their history. Um, what is what is Julian Stefan doing? The other question I've got: um, Stephen and Zonzi, a world champion, has mm. just uh, has just rocked up at at Rosen Park, and he you know he could be a valuable addition. We've seen all these youngsters, uh, of course, Kamavinga being the best example, but Nzonzi is going to going to add to experience as well as strength, isn't he? He is absolutely, and I think that's one of the main things that Ren are doing well since uh, Julian Stefan came came in as the first team coach. Obviously, his past as the academy coach I means he's been able to bring through young talent very smoothly, and they've been able to integrate a group more easily than perhaps at other clubs. They're playing with confidence, and that's mixed with the likes of Stephen Nzonzi, obviously who hasn't played yet, but he's just come in. You've got players like Damian de Silva like Jeremy Morel, who've got the experience. And it's, it seems like a very, very good mix now at Stade René. And it seems like a team that's well-managed, knows what it's doing, that's able to change formation quickly. And, well, Marseille, Marseille are beginning to stutter. And Rennes look like they're finding a bit of momentum. Bringing in a World Cup winner in late January is only going to boost that team. I think, I think, sorry, I think also that that could be bad news. I mean, they've got a lot of options in midfield now. One player who wasn't involved on Friday because he was injured, but hasn't been playing a lot recently, hasn't been in great form is Clément Grenier. I think we can call him a former France international, now a player whose career has, yeah. has kind of tailed away quite a bit in the last few years. But, you know, with Nzonzi coming in, with Camavinga still there, with players like Benjamin Bourgeau and Léa Siliki, you know, you do wonder about Clément Grenier's uh, place the, for the rest of this season. Ren won't want to be wondering about that. They want no. to improve. So I think it's it's a sign that they're a club on the up, that as someone of Clément Grenier's stature, shall we say, because he's a well-known player that we know has got quality, is no longer being considered, obviously, injured at the moment. But he seems like his time is up. To talk about Ren and Marseille, it reminds me of one of the very first Ligue 1 matches that I commentated at Rowers on Park at the time. It was Stade de la Route de Lorient. Back in 2008, it was Hatem Ben Arfa's first game for Marseille. And it was 3-2 to Marseille in the 89th minute. And it finished 4-4. And a certain Bruno Cheru in the 94th minute. So maybe there's something. Rose on Park has often been the scene for, for some fantastic thrillers. And that was, and I, I was thinking, my goodness, if this is what Ligue 1 is going to be like every weekend, this is going to be fantastic. Um, and I'll leave it at that. And you were thinking, how many Ballon d'Ors is this Hatem Ben Arfa chap going to He was very impressive. Going to win. Yeah. yeah, very impressive. Not so impressive yet yeah, a Valladolid I've seen it just his, his, his presentation and his comments had a comment in the press conference about why he wanted the number three because he thought it looked pretty on, the, on his back it was a fantastic moment where he <laughs> pointed to the Adidas badge on his chest instead of the Valladolid badge by, oh by, dear by Hatem Hatem we miss you come back to Ligue 1 Robbie was, um, was in action as well in the commentary box he was commentating Bordeaux against uh, Marseille Marseille Picked up four points from their first two games in 2020, but we mentioned on the pod last week that you know they 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 were lacking any kind of like attacking fluidity. They were struggling to create chances, and uh, it was more of the same. Dis- despite Dimitri 
Payet coming back against Bordeaux. Robbie, com- Robbie commentary. <laughs> and it was not a 4-4 thriller. Robbie brings us the commentary. The ball falling off the back of Alvaro Gonzalez. And easy as you like for Pablo. And the referee is going to come and have a look at this one himself. What's the referee decided? a corner. It's a fantastic save from Steph Mondondo. Radonjic. He hit it very sweetly, perhaps too sweetly, at Costil's near post. Payet with a lovely ball over the top. It was sitting perfectly for the strike. Radonjic. Still. Nice quick feed, Radonjic still going, shot near post. And that's a fine save from Kostil. For the second time in four minutes, the substitute, Radonjic, is denied by Kostil. Sanson and Payet have been clearly working all week in training on this. save from Mondonda. Brilliant stuff. So, Robbie, it was not a thriller. We, we have to just uh, point out that Marseille have an abysmal record away to Bordeaux. They have not won there since 1977, which was, uh, it was a great year for French football because Matthew Spiro was born. But, Robbie, what happened, what happened in, in the Bordeaux-Marseille game? Matt, trying to work out. So, Matt is the same age as, as Marseille's uh, terrible run in Bordeaux. Can I, uh, can I, sorry, can I just yeah. say Vitorino Hilton as well, born in 1977? True. Exactly. He hasn't quite made that. the same contribution to Ligue 1 as me, but yeah, Robbie. Has won the league. Robbie, Marseille, good, <laughs> good value for a nil-nil. I mean, they didn't create much, did they? I Look, saw, saw Radonjic had one chance. It wasn't a bad scoreless draw, to be fair. First half, Bordeaux had the better of it. There was a, a VAR moment again. And, and to be fair, these VAR, what, I'm not sure if it's the VAR or if it's the handball or if it's the referee's interpretations now. But I am very, very confused as to what is handball, what is not, when the VAR is called in, when the referee goes and sees it. It, it seems to change from one game to the next. But it's a, it's a handball when a player scores a goal after using his hand. He pretty much caught Absolutely. it, he, Pablo. Yeah, but not intentionally. No, but, but it doesn't matter. Certainly the ball and the, hit his And the arm thing is, I'll just say, because if, if Robbie Thompson, the commentator, seasoned commentator, is confused, imagine, one, the viewers watching on their TV, but two... and more importantly, I'd say the people in the stadium who probably haven't got a clue what's going on. Anyway, that's, yeah, well, perhaps the, a debate for Mets another game, day. In the Mets game just earlier, there was a shot from uh, just outside the box that was clearly blocked by the arms yeah. of a Mets player. And the referee was there and just waved play on. And it was, the arms were away from the body. They were in a protective movement, perhaps. But, I mean, he stopped. 
stopped uh, the ball heading towards goal. Yeah, I know the incident you're referring to. For me, that wasn't that you're looking at a penalty shout. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for me that yeah. for me that the arm was not really in an unnatural making the body unnaturally bigger. That is the issue when the, when the body when the arm makes the body unnaturally bigger. That's when the referee will give a penalty. My in my um, interpretation of that, that wasn't really the case. But it is confusing. But because what's unnaturally? That, the well, arms can were... I just say, shouldn't the, the rules be a bit different for like the French and Italians because they're very Latin and that, their, their arms naturally kind of they're more yeah. expressive. They're mm. always you know yeah, yeah. arms left, right, centre. For me, that's it's quite natural. We got but, a new emoji this week that Marco Verratti. Uh, answered about which is you know the sort of pinched fingers very Italian <laughs> so you've probably got a point there we need to evolve with the times but the but the, 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 the issue is, is is a valid point because a defender does that and it's not and is not necessarily penalised but the attacking player uh, handles the ball uh, and it's not deliberate and he scores a goal off yeah. the back of it yeah. as was the case with Pablo yeah. and the goal is disallowed and, and, and I understand why that is the case but also it does it is kind of contrary to what we always understood that uh, the rules were interpreted, whereas whereby the attacking team was given the the advantage, if you like. So Look, one yeah. minute before Pablo scores, which I I think should have been chalked off for a handball because the ball bounces off his arm straight up in front of him, and he can just poke it over the line, irrespective of the terrible goalkeeping moments earlier from Steve Mondonda, who punches the ball at his near post straight onto Dimitri Payet's head. He can't then, help but get an assist by it, can he? He just loves it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Robbie like she, should be in the team. Robbie the and, and moments before yep. that, though, Matt Thomas Basic handled in the box at the other end. So Marseille fans would have been going absolutely mental, thinking there we should have had a penalty at one end, and at the other end, Pablo scores in the end. They didn't get the penalty. The goal was chalked off, and it finished nil nil. Marseille were better in the second half. They changed things around um, a little bit to deal better with the 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 Bordeaux threat. Um, and in the end, another fine save from Mondonda to make up for that early mistake from a Pablo header. Radonjic had a couple of chances at the other end. Costil making a good save. Nil-nil, fair result. 43 years now for Marseille without a win in Bordeaux. My, my question is how concerned should uh, Marseille supporters be about Dario Benedetto and the fact that the goals have seriously dried up for him? And not only that, but it, you know his influence in the game, he's not getting... He's not seeing much of the ball, is he? No, he's not. But he's that number nine, isn't he? He's that player that we said when things go well, when you're finding the ammunition. We see less and less of these number nines in modern football. There's a reason for that. It's because teams don't play the same way we did back in the 1990s or even before that in the 80s and going with the big number nine, the the guy that's only there to score goals, the Mauro Icardi type Mm. player. We have these... These Payets, these Radonjic's, these Bunasars who score amazing goals in the, in, the, in the Coupe de France cutting in. We don't see get the ball wide, get the crosses in. It doesn't happen so much anymore. And Benedetto is there to finish. But then my, my view of that when I, whenever I watch Marseille play is that someone like Payet naturally likes to get the ball in early. And Benedetto, although his timing's brilliant and although his acceleration is good, he doesn't have that that extra inch of pace or that yeah, extra or that height, that, height yeah. that you need to get on the end of a cross. And when, dare I say it, Kostas Mitroglu was leading the line for Marseille, Dimitri Payet would whip them in and he'd get on the end of them. Yes, yeah. most of them ended up past the stadium yeah, yeah. in well, the I field next door. I think Mitroglu door, was as bad as everyone said he was either. But Well, you're a yes. PSG fan, so that makes sense. But, <laughs> but who do they have on the bench? Valère Germain is yeah. a more modern-style so, footballer, but he's getting a bit long in the tooth now. Mm. He's not that mobile as he, as he was. He's an intelligent footballer. But he's not providing any goals either, is he? And so who 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 have they got on the well, bench? Well, it's a problem. It's two goals in in his last fourteen for Benedetto. Mm. 
having having started the season in in pretty good fashion. Mm. So listen, um, uh, Marseille are now twelve points behind PSG. We're going to talk about PSG in a moment. They're only three points above Rennes. The top three in France do qualify for the Champions League, but the third placed team needs to go through two qualifying rounds. So not easy, and a big difference between finishing second and third. Before we go on to talk about Paris Saint-Germain and their victory over Montpellier, we're going to uh, introduce you or reintroduce you to our uh, to our Deja Who segment. It's the third time we we've had this. We're having great fun, and we're enjoying all of your um, all of your emails and your uh, interactions with us on Twitter. So please do get in touch. Um, you can try to answer if you think you know the answer to our Deja Who this week. It's um, using the hashtag Deja Who L1 um, on the uh, Twitter handle uh, at League One underscore ENG. So before I give this week's clue, here is the answer to last week. The clue was I'm a South American striker. I used to play for Porto. I scored a Coupe de France final winner. Now, Robbie immediately thought of Ankel Di Maria and realised he were, he was wrong because he played for for Benfica. Andy is. I was uh, just showing off. Actually. Andy is looking up. He probably knows the answer. Andy, Vincent Aboubakar, <laughs> Falcao. Obviously, Aboubakar is not South American. Oh. Um, Falcao didn't score a Coupe de France final winner. Oh. It was Lisandro Lopez of oh. Olympique Lyonnais. And um, listen, Patrick Brisbois has uh, retained his title. He has won the Deja Vu. For a second week running, félicitations, Patrick. Patrick um, is uh, very, very much aware of the fact that you can email the answers uh, to our email address. League, what's everyone laughing at? League um, podcast at gmail.com or use the hashtag Deja Who L1 on Twitter, D-E-J-A-W-H-O-L-1. Um, let's move on to this clue then this week. Okay, are you ready? During my first spell in France, I played alongside my idol and compatriot who went on to manage Tottenham. I played on either side of the classique with a five-year gap between. During that time, my flowing locks possibly got some hairdryer treatment from the Knight of the Realm. It's all pretty cryptic, isn't it, this week? Our producer Ian Holyman coming up with uh, some tricky ones. If you think you know the answer, if you think you know who that is, email us in here at Le Bourgeois league one podcast at gmail.com or using the hashtag deja who l1 on twitter you guys all know the answer do you yeah, yeah well i'm thinking of tottenham managers it's got to be christian gross i suppose the tottenham manager doesn't it so jack santini well, stefan lichsteiner yeah. maybe I was thinking about jack santini which and uh, either side of the classic would be leon and Saint-Étienne. then for i was trying to think jack who santini. played with santini in the season <laughs> <laughs> shall we move on uh, i think it's probably time to get back into the action paris saint-germain against montpellier at the Parc des Princes, Armel Tanguy is your commentator. Neymar shimmy past Jordan Ferry. There's space on the far side for Mernier. Instead, it's into Neymar who brought it down magnificently. And Sarabia with an absolute wonder strike. Struggling at the moment, the visitors to make anything of this. And Mbappe's through here. Dimitri Berto has come and surely used an arm to stop Mbappe progressing. For the second consecutive game, Montpellier lose their goalkeeper to a red card. Sarabia, great first touch, finding Di Maria, and Angel Di Maria makes it too. Danger not over yet for Montpellier. And it's gone in somehow. PSG 3-0 up before half-time. 
It's Congre, in fact. Yet another own goal in this fixture. It's Garnagay and four men ahead of him. One of those is Neymar. Mbappe now played through by Neymar. Kylian Mbappe, so, so simple to make it 4-0. Mbappe now into the middle towards Kwasi Kuzawa. So Armel Paris Saint-Germain running out 5-0 victors in what was a fairly one-sided affair, particularly after the sending off of Dimitri Berto, the uh, Montpellier goalkeeper who clattered into Kylian Mbappe. How good, first of all, was this PSG performance? They beat a Montpellier side fourth in the league, going quite well, albeit dumped out of the Coupe de France by a fourth division side just uh, a few days earlier. It was a brilliant training exercise after the first 17 minutes, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, great. Um, well, no, in fairness, PSG were... Could already have been 3-0 up for the sending off. Absolutely, you. yeah. Pablo Sarabia had a very nice but offside goal chalked off within the first three minutes. And he was everywhere in the first mm. 20 minutes, Sarabia. Brilliant yeah, player at the scored moment. Scored a lovely goal, yeah. Yeah, but PSG, yeah, I mean, they're an impressive side to watch at the moment. No more so than, what's his name, that guy with the pink hair? Pink no. hair? Nilmar? No, yeah. no, no, Nilmar yeah. used to play for Leon. He <laughs> was not a bad striker. Yeah, but let's anyway, talk, let's let's let, let's get to the nitty gritty because <laughs> Neymar was involved. Uh, we'll talk about Kylian ba- Kylian Mbappe as well because PSG have won five 0 and yet everybody is talking about a couple of incidents. But um, one involving Neymar doesn't that show that now everyone has to find something to talk about because PSG's performances are so impressive that you can't just say that every week because that's not going to sell papers anyway. PSG were very impressive, but let's get on to Neymar and Mbappe. Neymar, in my opinion, has an absolutely every right to be annoyed at halftime. Just explain what happened. So what happened was Neymar was being... I won't go as far as saying assaulted because I think go, I do... Go back then, Armel. Let's go back to the history. Right, from, so 7th from... of December, exactly. PSG travel to Montpellier. They win 3-1. They come back from one down. Neymar and Mbappe are on their defence like a rash in the final 20 minutes. And... Once PSG go 3-1 up, Neymar, and I think it was Paredes uh, in Montpellier, just passed the ball between them about 30 times. And that got Andy Delors back up. Andy Delors, the Montpellier striker, who's a bit of a fiery character. He clashed with Neymar in the tunnel at the end of that game. And so there was this extra hype about uh, Saturday afternoon's game where the two couldn't wait to meet each other again. So there was already a bit of bad blood. The idea that, there, that PSG lacked respect. And in particular, Neymar and, and Paredes lacked respect to the Montpellier players. And we already know that Ligue 1 players like to go for Neymar and it only makes him better. So one day they're going to find that out and maybe stop it. But they were going for Neymar throughout the whole of the first half. He was winning all of his personal battles. He embarrassed Teji Savanier on a, a few occasions. The same happened to Jordan Ferry. Anyway, the list goes on. Let's not mention poor old Arno Suke. And Arno Suke. What, sorry, but what are you supposed to do? Sort of just stand back and admire him? I mean, I would, if I was a manager, I'd say go for Neymar. I mean, you've got to, you've got to stick to him like a rash, don't you? But I think you just, okay, I'm, I'm not a defensive reference or anything. I'm not a professional football player. But I would just try my best to shadow him rather than just elbowing him and knocking him to the floor. I, that's my own opinion. Well, judging, judging by a photo in L'Equipe today, you did try your best to shadow him at, <laughs> at, at his party last night. There's this photo where Neymar's wearing this white hat. I don't know if, any, if anybody's got um, access to, to L'Equipe. I'll tell you what page it's on. But uh, the guy behind him, I'm sure it's Armel. But carry on, Arnold. Come on. So, yes, to get to the reason why he would have been annoyed at halftime, Arno Suke was involved. Neymar was down in the corner flag. Two players coming on onto him because obviously he can get past one without even thinking about it. And he does his... Um, Classic little rainbow flick over the back of his head. 
and over a Montpellier player. It hit the Montpellier player on this occasion, went out for a throw, and the referee Jérôme Brizard came over and basically told Neymar to just stop showboating. Neymar, quite rightly, said, what are you talking about? And then got a yellow card for it. What is he talking about? What? He has no right to say that. That's brilliant. It's, that... not, it's not against the rules, is it? To PSG do tickets. A incredible. If that's, uh, we don't know for certain if this is everything that we've said, but we certainly can lip-read Neymar saying, I'm playing football. And at, at half-time, at half time, he went in having a word with the fourth professional saying, what do you want me to do? I'm just playing football. I'm just playing football. Well, he was ranting in, in his native Portuguese. Was yeah. it Portuguese? It wasn't English? No, it, was no, it wasn't English. It was Portuguese. Yeah. In Portuguese, right. and the fourth official said, mm. speak French, please. Yeah, which but, is but great. Matt, you get a yellow card wonderful. for that. Already, it's ridiculous mm. to get a yellow card for that. And the yellow card can lead to you being suspended, possibly for a final of the Coupe de France or a semi-final of the Coupe de la Ligue, mm. or a final of the Coupe de la Ligue, rather, or a semi-final of the Coupe de France. And that is madness. Since when does a referee tell a player... Yeah. Yeah. How how he can play as as though sorry you must show respect to the opposition you know you're just pouring you know petrol on the on a potential fire here stop it, it it's madness if this is what actually happened and he should it is uh, madness. should Neymar sort of cut it out and play uh, no 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 I, I I I agree with with the lads here I think that it's it's um it's not on for a referee to to be doing that I think that there are other issues with Neymar obviously I mean I'm not I'm not some kind of old school. Uh, you know, football manager from the from the seventies, but you know the pink hair. What's that all about? Um, <laughs> I the, think that's uh, quite funny. If he's if, if he comes into the game I, I, to, I, I, to th- show think, respect I or a lack of respect I, to Montpellier, it's brilliant. Neymar is a fabulous footballer, hair. but all the other stuff that goes around it. I, and and I was I mean I was in the press conference after the game, Thomas Tuchel, and I got the impression obviously he was irritated as well. All this business of Neymar having this birthday party. Everyone has to dress in white at the Palais de Tokyo. <laughs> they have a game on Tuesday night. Now, okay, I really, I don't think that. It, I think it's a little bit, a little bit silly to say, oh, they're playing a game in two days, so they can't do something forty-eight hours earlier. But all this extra noise around it. it they're twenty-three-year-old kids. They're twenty-five-year-olds. Name out what? 27? 28. But since when did we not go out for a drink and go to work no, the next day? Exa- exactly. I'm not. I'm not criticizing. I'm not criticizing that at all. I, I, I just think that there is so much noise around Neymar and all this other stuff, which, which ultimately, yeah, it's what you. When you're a writer, I was at the game writing about it. When you're there. Of course, you talk about all the other stuff around the game. You're not going to write 600 words about so-and-so did this and, 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 and put a shot wide. You talk about pink hair. You talk about the Kobe Bryant tributes. You talk about the way he riles up opponents. You talk about the, the incidents at halftime. It's great, but... And it is the story of the match. It's the story of the match, yeah. But well, Along with the Kylian Mbappe incident, which we'll come to in a second. But, but yeah, all these things do annoy me as a slightly old-fashioned... Can I just say, uh, I haven't uh, been to a, a party in a white hat since uh, that, that McDonald's party I had um, when I was about seven. But Andy, yeah. what would happen to Neymar in the Scottish Premier League if ever he went? In football. <sighs> I mean, that's, that's a good question. If, if he went he showed, with pink hair and started doing rainbow flicks over people. <laughs> I mean, this is not a Scottish football podcast, but Neymar did show. He did show when he played for Paris Saint-Germain at Celtic Park uh, just after he signed for PSG, that I think he could do a lot of damage against Scottish teams. He could probably cope, yeah. yeah. The root of this all is Andy's white shirt went home very dirty yeah. last mm-hmm. night, so he's not a fan of white-themed parties. <laughs> you mentioned Kylian Mbappe. If Kylian is allowed to do a rainbow flick, he's allowed to have pink hair, guys. Killian, Bottom line. Kylian? Neymar. No, Neymar. Oh. Yeah. I've got no problem with it. 
No. You can have whatever hair well, he Louis wants. Well, Louis had pink hair, didn't he, after Montpellier won the, won the title in 2012. So exactly. that's the one thing exactly. that Louis Nicolas yeah. and Neymar will have in common. Did you see the, the photo of uh, Paredes, the Montpellier Paredes and yeah. Neymar in the dressing room after the game with Andy Delors' match shirt, yeah. which they both signed saying, yeah, here's a, here's a, a message hug for, for our, our friend. friend. Yeah. I think sometimes, I mean, yeah, sometimes <laughs> when you are that much better than your opponent, you can tone it down a bit, but. Yeah, I mean, out on the pitch. If na- that's how Neymar plays. It's how he's always played. I have also absolutely and do you no understand problem with the it. intensity of what happens out on a football pitch. It may be five nil against ten yeah. men against nine men later I on, th- but Montpellier are there to cause you problems, uh, not yeah. physically intimidate you or hurt you. But a football match is incredibly physical. I know. I know you want to. I know you want to talk about something else. But I think. I think Armel. Armel. Uh, you know. You think you, what you were trying to say perhaps is that um, you go to a game of football and I want. Personally, I want to see a game of football. Unless it's my team, I want to see a game of football. And you go to the Parc des Princes and you don't see a game of football. You see, you see things like that. That's what catches your eye because away teams come there and capitulate effectively. You very rarely see anything else. And in Montpellier's case, they capitulated. The goalkeeper sent off 17 minutes in. They were already behind and, 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 and it went even worse from there. But yeah, you want to see a game of football and it just turns into this... Neymar show showboating, getting into uh, problems with the officials, which might be unfair, but ultimately it's not a, a, a contest, and that's what you want to see. The LFP, they they could do what? Is what? this not all growing pains for the LFP then? For for Lydia? maybe, yeah. You know, exceptional talents. I, I was going to say that in the Super Bowl, um, people don't just go to watch the uh, the action. There was Shakira, I think, in concert halftime. Maybe maybe that's something to think about. Um, in in the coming weeks, but listen, yeah. they don't do that at every. We are we, we're going it. to talk about Killian. Um, mm. We are also going to talk about some some of the action as well in PSG Montpellier because I want to to ask you about Sarabia and his performance alongside Killian Mbappe. But the headlines really were more about Killian than about Neymar because when he was substituted late on by Thomas Tuchel, he did not take it well at all. He went off in a huff. Thomas Tuchel perhaps made the mistake of trying to talk to him at this point when he was absolutely furious. So we had one of these stupid discussions where you've got the manager and the player putting their hands over their mouth and I, I'm not sure they could hear or understand each other. But Mbappe was furious. He um, ignored the uh, the kit man or one of the uh, members of staff who was holding a coat for him, which didn't, you know, didn't look very good, didn't look very respectful. He went and sat down in a big, big huff. You know, this is a game you're winning 5-0. Mm. Mbappe's already scored. It's the third time this season he's made a fuss about being taken off um, later on that evening now Robbie says that you know we shouldn't worry about this sort of thing but he made um, more headlines by, by liking posts on Instagram by certain Real Madrid uh, players French players um, <laughs> who had just beaten Atletico Madrid and we know he's a big uh, big fan of Real Madrid we know Real Madrid had a dream you know he must be well aware that by doing that by clicking that little like button he's going to create a bit a, a bit of friction and you know, I'm going to put it to you guys. Is this all very unhelpful with the the key part of PSG's season coming in the coming weeks? Yes. It needs a bit of punishment. Well, Andy, you're scoffing. You're, you're, you're making oh, out I've said something no. really stupid. But the no, last no, no, few no, years... No, no, it's a good question. It's a valid question. You can I, say I'm stupid. I, the last few years, we've had this circus every yeah, time. No, what, yeah, but I, I, I think that uh, when you talk about the game against Borussia Dortmund coming up, I think there are, there are specific footballing reasons which we can maybe come back to, why they might want to be worried rather than the thing with Mbappe. Well, you say, yeah, maybe, maybe. But, you know, what happens in a dressing room is, is, important. is, is, is important. Edinson Cavani is a Paris Saint-Germain legend. And what, what I find interesting when he's going off, because, um, again, I only saw highlights of this game, but you can hear 
the 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 Parc des Princes, all chanting Cavani's name. And mm. you know, y- y- yes, Mbappe doesn't like us talking about his age, but he's 21. He's played a huge number of matches. He needs to get off that pitch and sit down. He needs a good a good smack from his dad. It seems like a few years that he hasn't. hasn't. No, no, we don't do that anymore. But Didier Deschamps, the France manager, did say if he played in my time, he would have had a few clack. Yeah, Alan Pardew would have probably nutted him when, rather than tried to talk to him <laughs> when he came off there. And I, I don't think it would have been you know, such look, a bad thing. We're hammering the boy. We're being mm. a bit hard on him. It, it's also his character. It's also what makes him special. He wants to be on the pitch all the time. He wants to score more and more goals. He wants to break as many records as possible. But... It's not a good look. And Thomas no, Tuchel actually, I think that's yeah. Thomas the, Tuchel said it, Robbie. So yeah. it's, not, it's not just us. Thomas Tuchel said, it's going to make people talk about how we have this problem with the spirit and it's not the case. Exactly. But I think that's the, that's the point is that it's not a good look. That's what Thomas Tuchel said. It's, it's not a good look. He knows that everyone's going to jump on that, that people are going to try and use that as a, a, to make headlines. And fair enough. But Killian, and we've just said it, is a 21-year-old. He's a World Cup winner. He wants to be considered like Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, who are never taken off in matches. He thinks that's his ultimate goal. He's got to be there. And even if it's subconsciously, he takes all this on board. He wants to be top scorer. He's second top scorer in the league at the moment. He wants to be important to his team at all times. And he doesn't see the fact that you're 5-0 up, that you've played, this is your 10th match since the turn of the year, that the coach is trying to rest you. There's nothing more at stake competitively in this game. And you've got big matches coming up. You've got Nantes away on Tuesday. Then you've got another match. Then you've got a a semi-quarterfinal of the Coupe de France. Then you've got Champions League football and all of this. And you've got to... But in the heat of the battle, Killian doesn't yet have that recul, as we say in French, to step back and just look at it coolly. And, And that's what the coach is there for. Yes. He should accept the coach's decision. But I think there's a lot going on in his head, especially when he's on the football pitch playing and he wants to be number one. He wants to be the top dog. You can be number. You can want to be number one, but it is a team game. And that's what Tuchel was alluding but to. But all players and have Mbappe these- should not be obsessed with who comes, who finishes as a top scorer. Uh, you know, he needs to play his football. It will come. And Thomas Tuchel made the point by saying, we're, we're playing football. This isn't tennis. Yes, but so maybe when, when he's 29, he'll be the model... Of, of respect and everything on the football pitch for now he's a tear away he's a 21 year old who's a superb footballer but he's not and though. let him just express himself he's, he's been a model for years he's, he's been mm. a model since the moment he appeared on the scene and, and this, it's actually getting is... it's actually getting worse because well, yeah you know because when he was 17 18 he was actually very um mod- modest and unassuming i would say and less obsessed with the goal he, he actually admitted that in a very interesting interview saying that it's a question of seniority and when i was in my first season at psg i wanted to to, to serve Neymar and Cavani because I was the junior figure and he obviously sees himself as the senior figure now. And that ability that you mentioned to take a step back, you hear him interviewed three minutes after the end of the game. He's already taken 26 steps back. I don't, I don't know what it is, but he seems to just be... He's got, he's got a brat side to him, which is probably understandable when you're earning that much money at age 21, but he needs to be able to control it. And that's why I think PSG need to go through his dad who has mentored him his whole life and... If they sort of let that slip whilst he's still a youngster, then I think there's, there's trouble well, brewing. Well, it's funny, but his dad, I seem to remember, after that breakthrough season where Monaco won the league, about halfway through that year, his dad is the front page of Le Kip saying, Monaco lied to us, Killian should play more. 
And that's when he was a 17-year-old mm. in that Monaco side. And he'd only played a handful of matches. Because if you remember, oh, it's been, yeah, it was it's been from January it where Killian Absolutely. burst onto the scene there. And, and you know, it, maybe it's a family history. The, the Mbappe family I mean, even, think that they're the ones. Even going before that, Robbie, when he was 14 at Monaco and he'd been, he'd been promised to play in the under-17s, yeah. it would be really interesting if, if there was a book coming out on this sometime in, in, in the next few months. We'll... Well, well, I wouldn't read that. You wouldn't read that. Let's um, I, just before we have talked a lot about private PSG, jokes, private jokes going on. here. We have talked about well, there might be news about a book coming out soon. Nice against Leon. We will talk about Nice against Leon. But before we move on, Armel, yeah, PSG with Sarabia playing as a second striker. We 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 mentioned, or I mentioned that Icardi was becoming a problem. Four goals, four games without a goal. Everybody told me to 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 be quiet, but we we see that Tuchel is trying different um, alternatives, different uh, combinations in attack. And it was, uh, it was Mbappe with, um, what's his name? Sarabia. 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 Is, is yeah. that something that he might consider? Sarabia's got eight goals, by the way, um, in his last 12 matches. Four in his last five, anyway. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it, I think it's nice to see that he deserves his chance after his recent performances, and he's getting his chance, which is a, a healthy thing to happen in a team, despite the, the, the star names that Thomas Tuchel has at his disposal. And, okay, as the game grew on, Neymar stole the show. But in that first half, Pablo Sarabia was absolutely brilliant. And I think it's it's wonderful for PSG to have an option who, may, I might be wrong here, I don't know the guy, but seems like less of an ego to manage um, than, you're right. than perhaps those four. And I've no doubt that when he signed for PSG, they sold the project to him as he would be a starter. But he's... He's fighting his way into into that starting lineup, and he's doing brilliantly. And he, con- I mean, he even if he's not scoring, he will contribute, won't he? Which absolutely, which Icardi might not. I, th- I think it would be naive to think, if you're talking about egos, that Pablo Sarabia is quite happy to be on the bench most of the time. I don't think that's the case. I think he mm. wants to play. He's a Spain international now, regular Spain international. He wants to be playing. For me, more than the question of personnel, because honestly, if you look at it. From a sporting point of view, you have a squad of 25 players. All players should be available. All players should play. The coach has to make his choices. For me, the interesting thing about playing Pablo Sarabia alongside Kylian Mbappe or just sort of running around him in attack, but also playing as a second striker, is that hopefully we can stop all this debate about the 4-4-2 v. the 4-3-3. That's three months now that Paris Saint-Germain have been playing this way. I promised you that they would be mad to change or to try and change back to a 4-3-3 for the Borussia Dortmund match. They have been playing this way. They have been fine-tuning this system. You can't Fair change enough. it now. Fair Three enough. months at 4-4-2 and everyone, all the uh, journalists, everyone around, my aunt- Andy Scott's all saying, but the 4-4-2 is not defensive enough against Champions League. You can't change yeah, now Sarabia, because you don't Sarabia have, does you give don't it have the cohesion more of your defensive element because he can drop off and will contribute more in midfield. So I the point that I made last week, I, I sp- would say, yeah, but what does Di Maria know? Well, he, on, he, is, there, he is one of the players in the 4-4-2. <laughs> and I spoke to him after the match because we'd spoke, I'd spoken to Thomas Tuchel and, about Di Maria's role in this 4-4-2. And Thomas Tuchel said, everyone has to defend. Di Maria often does too much. He defends more for the likes of Neymar and Mbappe and Icardi. He comes deeper. And so I asked the question to Di Maria after the game against Montpellier. And he said he considered himself one of the alongside Marco Verratti and Idrissa Gay in midfield. And he said, we have players like Eddie, Pablo, Mauro, Kylian, Ney, who can score the goals. That means me, 
Leo, Marco, and Idrissa, or Ghana, as they call him, has to do the defensive duties. So the balance Who's is Leo? there if you messy? see it in your mentality. Is Leo? Is, sorry, is you're, ref- you're going Leo. Your names here. Leo. Leandro Paredes. Paredes. Oh, sorry, Leo. Yeah. Is he referring to all those air slide tackles that he's made? <laughs> made <laughs> they are a, impressive, a isn't it? Well, Robbie, I mean, I you know, Marco Verratti should be your tackling model, but clearly for Angel <laughs> Di Maria. It is interesting what Angel Di Maria told you. I spoke to my missus after the game, and she said she'd rather Cavani played up top. So, you know, I, I think everybody exactly has views. Everybody has views. Would Let, prefer Maro Cardi. Let's move on, Rob. Let's move on. Um... I was going to say, just before we move on, it is difficult with Cat Fantastic. If, like, for example, we talk about egos in this room, there are, there are a few, and we, we do have the Cat Fantastic. And Sarabia, in many ways, is a bit like the David Crossan who's, who, who's trying to break in. But our, our Thomas Tuchel, Ian Holyman, is a, is a hard man. So we'll see. We'll see which Cat Fantastic we get next week. Maybe we Me- should stop calling them the Cat Fantastic. That's the that's the 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 club don't want to focus on just four. Well, maybe players. that's why Sarabia's coming because you, you now have to change the name. Exactly. The average for the quatre, pas mal. <laughs> <laughs> nice played Lyon. They played Lyon twice actually last week. Lyon won two one um, away to Nice in the Coupe de France. It was a different story in Liga this weekend. Your commentator for this one was Ian Holyman. Nicely taken by Pudawi. And was that a foul? It was, but outside the area, says Mr. Bastian. Marcel is off. Ismailo, chance to shoot. And Dolberg with a follow-up. And he takes it with a plum. There's Casper Dolberg. There's a lovely run from Ismailo. Leon won Leon's first defeat in uh, in 2020, and Casper Dolberg um, producing the goods. Big big win that for for Patrick Vieira's team. We had uh, we had red cards. Marcel was uh, was sent off for Leon early on for a uh, what was deemed a professional foul, a last man foul on Budawi, and um, Unas Adam Unas was then was then sent off for getting very very upset about a refereeing decision. Um, it's a big setback, this, for, for Olympique Lyonnais. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's a, especially coming three days after they've just beaten the same team. Uh, maybe the red cards played into it. It was fairly passionate. There's no love loss between those two sides as well, mm. going back uh, many, many years between the supporters as well. So it's always a match that they, they look to, 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 to give a little bit extra in, I think. And Lyon then... They looked. Everyone was saying their game against Bordeaux two weeks ago was such a fine performance. Back to the four-three-three that they they looked a solid side. Maybe not I mean, the case. Were, Maybe more. Were, think they were handicapped uh, in 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 Sunday's game by Marcel being sent off midway through the first half. Yeah. And of course, Marcel was sent off when Lyon played Nice at home in November. So uh, two red cards in two games against Nice in the league this season. But I know Nice had uh, Adam Unas sent off on the stroke of half time. But when you play three quarters of the game with 10 men, then it's always going to be a challenge. But another goal for Carl Toko Akambi, of course, two goals in two games for him. So, um, you know, 
it's not all loss for Lyon. It's, it's incredibly tight. I think there's six points between fourth and 16th in the table. And, um, you know, there's there's no reason for Lyon to give up hope yet, but not a good result. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unas sent off for shoving a, a, a Lyon player, not for... Marcelo. Brilliant. He fell right into Marcelo's trap because clearly Marcelo is one of those players, you know, we call yeah. it um, something housing, I believe it is. And um, Marcelo was doing exactly that. Something just, just wanted to uh, <laughs> Just wanted to even the numbers up. So picked it's... up a, a nice player by the shirt and Adam Unas lost his, lost his way and... But what did he actually do, Unas? It looked to me like he just sort of pushed. It was sort of a, a slap push in the back of Marcelo's head. Like you just can't do that on a football pitch. Mm. Bye bye. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it is very interesting in the league table. Very uh, bunched, just uh, outside the top four. You got Montpellier on uh, on thirty three points. They're a point behind Lille, and then you got four teams now on thirty two, including Nice, including Lyon, including Reims, and uh, including Nantes. Uh, so the battle for Europe is very very tight. Uh, one side that, that got a, a very important victory, a come-from-behind win against Strasbourg was uh, was Lille. Um, and Victor Ozyman getting back in uh, amongst the goals there, getting the uh, the winner for Lille, who who played some good football, shot themselves in the foot somewhat with that opening goal they gifted to to Thomason. But, but they came back. They're a frustrating team, Lille, because they are capable, aren't they, of playing some really good football. And actually, in the yeah. second half, when Jonathan Okone came on, um, they were a, a transformed team. Yeah, and I mean, it's a very important result because Strasbourg's not an easy place to go. They've been in pretty good form recently and Lille had won just once away from home in the league all season. Um, they'd just been knocked out of the Coupe de France in midweek as well by uh, Epinal, uh, a fourth division team, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And um, that was a shocking result and it, it did begin to sort of raise questions about um, where their season was going. And this win has got them very much uh, back on track, I think, and, and they can still obviously target a European place. I mean, they are when they play... When they play to their capabilities, they're they're one of the they should be finishing in the top five in league one. So a big step in the right direction for them. That was their first league goal of 2020. They scored this weekend, which is a bit strange for a team that's got so much quality going forward. Yeah, they they are they are inconsistent, very much like another team that probably should be in the top five. AS Monaco, they're down in 13th. Um, we talked about them quite a lot last week. We talked about. The fact that they keep on bringing in players, they signed for Fana and Chuamani in the week. Um, I'm told they now have 76 players on their books, um, but they can't seem to get a consistent starting 11. And uh, they had a pretty eventful game away to Nîmes. They were beaten 3-1, despite Wissam Ben Yedda uh, giving giving Monaco the lead. It all changed when Bakayoko was uh, was sent off. Uh, VAR intervened for a studs-up uh, challenge on Filippoto. Uh, Monaco. They feel they've been aggrieved by, by you know, the refereeing decisions. They've had a lot of red cards this season. Jelson Martins then went completely berserk and got himself sent off for, yeah. for arguing with the referee. So, so Monaco had to play with nine men. They ended up losing 3-1. Big win for, for Nîmes, who, who remain 19th. But Andy, I know you've been following Monaco closely this season. I mean... Yeah, I'm just trying to tot up the number our of players friend, they have. That's all. <laughs> our no. friend David Crossan was still sort of arguing that they're going to finish in the top three. Uh, but. Well, this was a bad result for them, obviously, because of the two sendings off on the half hour. They were severely handicapped. But um, I, I, probably not many people will agree with me here, but the Gelson Martin sending off. So Bakayoko is sent off after, after a VAR review for the challenge, for the, 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 the dangerous challenge that's always going to be a red card these days. Gelson Martin's... <laughs> sort of lets his frustration go by kind of putting his hands on the referee. Now, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, if the referee had given him a yellow card there, things might have calmed down. 
But the referee shows the red card, and I think it's after that that Jelson Martins then Absolutely. really goes far, yeah. far too yeah. far by pushing the referee. And now there's talk of potentially being suspended for months and stuff like that. But I honestly think that if Jelson Martins had just been given a yellow card after the first incident, things would have calmed down. But for some reason, the referee felt he had to go one step further. Now, nobody obviously backing the referees is going to take my opinion on this, and that's fine. But to me, there are other ways that that could have been dealt with. It's Monaco's ninth red card of the Mm. season. Some of them were deserved, some of them not deserved. This one, for me, could have been avoided with the referee showing a little bit of understanding for the situation. And obviously, once you're down to nine men, it's very... and, And they actually were quite unlucky after that in the sense that they have nine men and they didn't concede the second goal until relatively late in the game. They could have got an equaliser after that. So They're, they're the team who've uh, suffered the most from VAR decisions this season. They keep producer, the, the daily uh, news, sports newspaper here in France produced a little graphic with the teams that have had the most uh, VAR decisions in their favour and those that have gone against them. And Monaco are the team who've suffered the most from VAR decisions Perhaps Shelson Martins just can't take it anymore. Well, indeed. Uh, Monaco probably won't get sucked into a relegation dogfight because uh, there are some teams doing extremely badly. And Nîmes uh, are in 19th. They've got 18 points, five more than the, the basement club uh, to lose. But they're only one point behind Amiens, who are currently occupying the playoff berth in, in 18th position. Amiens drew nil-nil with uh, Toulouse at the weekend. So I sort of want to congratulate Toulouse, who brought an, uh, a run of 12 straight defeats to, to an end. But a goalless draw at Amiens is probably not going to, to salvage their season. Interesting scenes at the final whistle with uh, uh, Amiens supporters calling for Luca Elsner to be sacked. Uh, Regis Gurtner, the Amiens goalkeeper, went over to them and it was fascinating. He was shouting at them, telling them to, to be quiet and to get behind the team. He said, we're giving our all. You've got to keep on giving your all. It was another example, I thought, an interesting example of how these... Uh, French teams communicate with uh, with their supporters. But it's not looking good for Luca Elsner and for Amiens. Just a, a mention to my compatriot, Steffi Mavididi, um, who scored a cracking goal, the Englishman, for, uh, for Dijon against Brest. 3-0, the victory for Dijon. A really good win for Reims as well, as away to, away to Angers. They won 4-1, and Robbie's uh, favourite striker, Boulay Dia, scored a, scored a good goal in that one. So Robbie's happy. Absolutely. It's a good player, that bull idea. We're going to go on a bon voyage. It's, uh, it's time to get on our travels. We don't have uh, too much time to, to hang about this week because there is midweek action commencing on Tuesday night and we'll have a look at, uh, at where we fancy going. Yeah, so uh, Wednesday night, the, the last game of the midweek round, I think it has to be the Stade Geoffroy Guichard for Saint-Étienne against Marseille. Um, I saw Saint-Étienne yesterday against Mestre, they were very poor, but uh, this, and obviously Marseille didn't play all that well against Bordeaux, second straight nil-nil draw, but when you talk about big games in French football, the two clubs who've won the most league titles, two of the uh, best, possibly still the two best supported clubs in the country, so that's got to be the game to watch. I'd say Lille again against Rennes. I'm quite fancying that on, on Tuesday night because I'm heading back to England and I can take the Eurostar and just stop at Lille, have a little night out at the Stade pierre Mauroy. And that, it's not quite a Champions League playoff, but it's, it's a big, big game. If Lille can win at home against Rennes, they'll move to within three points of third place Rennes. So quite a lot at stake there. If Rennes win, of course, they can, uh, they can move and it, level with Marseille. Interestingly enough, Matt, um, or, or not... Um, <laughs> here we go <laughs> Bordeaux uh, Bordeaux and Marseille Bordeaux's unbeaten record at home against Marseille I think is the longest uh, stretching in, in, in the top flight in France but just behind that 
I think Lille didn't lose at home to Rennes for about 40 years. Lyon haven't and, lost at until home a couple to Toulouse since 66. Guys, we're go. losing our listeners here. We're losing. They're, 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 they're turning off as we speak. Armel, don't give us any stats. Where do you want to go? Yeah, I just want to go to Monaco because they're all in a bit of a huff at the moment. They're taking, playing a team called Angers on Tuesday night. So I think that's quite <laughs> fitting. Not and bad. Angers, Angers have lost nine goals in the last two games. So there could be a few goals in that one. Thank you for listening. Uh, everybody out there, don't look back in Angers. We will be um, de retour next week from, uh, from Robbie Thompson, Andy Scott, Armel Tangi and me, Matt Spiro. It's time to say au revoir et à bientôt. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh, the pass is brilliant for Pepe. And Thomas. The Saint-Etienne has surely won it.